Good morning again, everyone. It's a beautiful day, Master's birthday. He's given us beautiful weather to celebrate it with. So I will read this reading from Rays of the One Light. This is the beginning of the year, and the reading is At the Heart of Silence, the Eternal World. Word. Do you have your glasses? <laughs> Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 1, these immortal lines appear. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Human vision beholds individuality and separation everywhere. Divine vision beholds the oneness of cosmic vibration, of which all things, no matter how diverse, are manifestations. Cosmic sound, the word of God, and cosmic light, these are eternal. The world as revealed to us by our senses is illusory. In the autobiography of a yogi, Paramahansa Yogananda relates an early experience he received of the divine aspect of reality. Sitting on my bed one morning, I fell into a deep reverie. What is behind the darkness of closed eyes? This probing thought came powerfully into my mind. An immense flash of light at once manifested to my inward gaze divine shapes of saints sitting in meditation in posture in mountain caves formed like miniature cinema pictures on the large screen of radiance within my forehead. Who are you? I spoke aloud. We are the Himalayan yogis. The celestial response is difficult to describe. My heart was thrilled. Ah, I long to go to the Himalayas and become like you. The vision vanished, but the silvery beams expanded in ever-widening circles to infinity. What is this wondrous glow? I am Ishwara. I am light. The voice was as murmuring clouds. I want to be one with thee. Out of the slow dwindling of my divine ecstasy, I salvaged a permanent legacy of inspiration to seek God. Wise are we if we meditate on that experience of Yogananda's and salvage from it even a breath of his inspiration. For, quite simply, there is nothing else. As the Bhagavad Gita says in the seventh chapter, I make and unmake this universe. Apart from me, nothing exists, O Arjuna. All things, like the beads of a necklace, 
are strung together on the thread of my consciousness and are sustained by me. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Good morning, everyone, and once again, we wish you a very happy Master's birthday. Since our reading started off talking about the, etern- the, the Word, the eternal silence, I'd like, usually we read from Whispers from Eternity, but I'd like this morning to read a beautiful poem that Yoganandaji wrote from his book, Songs of the Soul, and this is, When I Take the Vow of Silence. It's a beautiful, beautiful poem. When I take the vow of silence to remain enlocked with my beloved in the arms of his everywhereness, I shall be busy listening to his symphony of creation's bliss songs and beholding hidden wondrous visions. Yet I shall not be oblivious of you all. I shall mutely watch you walking o'er me in the fresh grass blades and seeing me in my living leafy presences. I shall behold you with mothering tenderness through every crimson blossom that wears a blush of love to bring you delight. I shall caress you with the unfolding breeze to relieve your worries and fears and enwrap you in sun warmth when the chill of delusive loneliness strays into your heart. When you gaze at the ocean, you will be looking right at me, united with my beloved on the altar of the horizon, sky canopied with silver rays or the azure wavy hazy sanctuary. I shall not speak except through your reason, nor scold except through your conscience. I shall persuade only through your love and your heart's longing to seek the beloved only. I shall tempt you, but with the sole temptation to enjoy the beloved's love alone. Forget me if you will but not my beloved. Remembering him, you cannot forget me. Ah, it's so beautiful. So, in our reading this morning, it ended with that passage from the autobiography where Master talks about his vision and then where Ishwara, the divine light, actually spoke to him and said, and, and then afterwards Master says, from the slow dwindling of my divine ecstasy, I salvage a permanent legacy of the inspiration to seek God. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. What is this legacy that Yogananda has given to us that he salvaged from his 
union with God. Because this is what is important to all of us. How we continue to draw from the Master. How we continue to let Him change and transform our lives. And I think there are two aspects that I'd like to share this morning about what that legacy is. One is the outward aspect. Swamiji describes it as the qualitative, the world mission, excuse me, the quantitative, the world mission that is meant to reach millions of people around the world. And then the qualitative, the work he does with each one of us as individual truth seekers. And when Yogananda was about to leave India to come to America in 1920, both of these missions, both of these aspects of his mission were reflected in what his guru, Sri Yukteswar, said to him in Calcutta before he departed. And he gave him two blessings. One, he said, Forget that you were born. He, you know, this is Sri Yukteswar saying to Yoganandaji, a young man about to depart for foreign shores, for the West, not speaking English, knowing no one, having about $500 in his pocket, no other resources. And Sri Yukteswar says to him, Forget that you were born a Hindu, but don't become an American. <laughs> Take the best of both. Seek the best of all brothers and sisters throughout the world and incorporate them into your own being. And that thought struck me in this past year with great impact. Incorporate them into your own being because that's what Yogananda did. You know, he, he said that part of the mission of our masters was to unite the practical efficiency with the West with the spiritual depth and understanding of India and the East. And Yogananda became, it wasn't a philosophy, it wasn't a teaching, he became the synthesis of the East and the West. And, you know, we we hear about someone is a Renaissance man, that they're talented in many different aspects of art and creativity. But Yogananda was a Dwapara man. He He brought within his own being, he synthesized it, because after all, he was of the East. He was from India. And yet he came here, and he didn't try to make us Hindus but he helped us to become more than Americans. Having recently been in India, Jyotish and I, for many months at the end last fall, we really could see for the first time what Yogananda did. Because when we go over there, we're not exactly Westerners. And yet we're not, we don't adopt all of the rituals and the outward aspects of India. But what Yogananda did in his living being was he brought, as he put it, the cream of the cream of the teachings of yoga. So not the details, not the deity worship, not the puja, not the outward pouring yogurt on the feet of the the deity. All that's fine, but that's not what he brought us. What he brought us 
was the best of it, the consciousness that was behind all that out, those outward forms. But he brought them, and then he landed here in America, and he thought, how can I make these teachings acceptable and understandable to the Western mentality? And he saw the practical efficiency, and he said, I love the spirit of America that says, uh, eventually, eventually, why not now? And so he integrated that within himself, that ability to be practical, to set a goal and accomplish it. One of our friends, uh, we have many, many dear friends in India, but one of our friends in India said to us, one thing you Westerners need to learn about us Indians, we promise you anything, but we don't always come through. Uh, and, and I think you know that there's truth in that. But what the Americans have the ability to do is see how to get from A to B and then get there. And Master saw that, and he realized he needed to, to incorporate with himself the best of both. He needed to make that a part of his own being. And so he became very practical. He, uh, Swamiji tells us that it was Yoganandaji who actually... Invent, Master said this. He invented the on a car, the uh, moving the gear shift from on the floor to the the, uh, the the driving shaft by the steering wheel, the steering shaft. And Yogananda had a mechanic draw this up, and he drove into Detroit. And then the car manufacturers adopted this. But he saw, and he invented. He was the first one who created a motorhome. Because he liked to travel around, and so he had one of the nuns. It's a wonderful story that you'll read about uh, Sister Durgama, who actually did the the welding and the worked in a garage to create the first motorhome. But why did he do all that? Was were those things important? He was trying to synthesize that practical efficiency, and then with the teachings, he saw how to do it. He saw. Uh, to have lessons that you send out in the mail, which was in the days before email, which were effective at the time, and traveling and touring all over the country. When you look at his travel schedule, it's amazing. Month after month of three or four events in one day, and city to city to city, going on trains, doing advertising, doing uh, you know everything that it needed to do to succeed in the West. And yet, Underneath that all, because there are efficient, effective people in the West, but what's the difference? Because he never lost sight of the, his source, of, never lost sight of why he had come. And that was to awaken the West to our own spiritual potential, to awaken the West to the teachings of the ancient Vedas and the Upanishads, the teachings that this world is not real. This world is for us to awaken from. This world is a a maya, delusion. And the whole purpose of any incarnation is to awaken from that dream. And he did it in thousands of different ways. How to be a good... He wrote and talked uh, how to... uh, Uh, attributes of success and how to be a good employee, how to be a good employer, how to draw a spiritual partner and on and on and on. But it was to help 
the practical, efficient nature of all of us Westerners to say, okay, we can apply spiritual principles to accomplish what we want in life, but then go beyond that. To realize, yes, we can be a success. And why was his chief disciple, his most advanced male disciple, a self-made millionaire, Rajasi Janakananda? He was a great yogi, Rajasi, born James Lynn in the West in Kansas City, Missouri. A great yogi from past lives. But he came into this lifetime to demonstrate how to live in this world as a Raja, but a yogi king. And that's why he gave him the name uh, Rajasi, Janakananda, king of yoga. And for all of us, this great mission to the West and the practical implications, not the least of which is the applied living of the principles in cooperative spiritual communities. And that's why these were so important. These do not exist in India. They have ashrams, they have villages, but this is different. And we're trying to, by establishing them first in the West, now we're trying to go to India and see if these ideas will take root. But it's a new model. It's a new concept. He synthesized, Master synthesized, the ancient ashrams of India with the social and cooperative spirit of America, which is very strong, probably the strongest in the world. And now we will bring this back to India. But what he became, the mission that was given to him by God, he became that synthesis. And that was the first part of what he meant to do. And now, my brothers and sisters, it's us, up to all of us to continue that. We have watched people in Italy and in India watching the movie Finding Happiness, which is about Ananda. They are amazed that such a place exists. People who have no connection with the spiritual path are weeping. How can such a place exist on earth? And so we need to continue this quantitative, why do I get that mixed up? Qualitative mission, the quantity. We need to spread this work as much as we can. But then there's the other side. And this is what's so dear to each one of us. He came to help the individual. And this was the second part of Sri Yukteswar's blessing to him. The first part was go and incorporate the East and West. The second part was, I bless you that all who come to you will be spiritually helped. The emanation coming from your consciousness will awaken them, help them leave behind their materialistic consciousness and inspire them to find God. This is what Yogananda, as he's told us, he salvaged from that ecstasy the deep inspiration to seek God. And this is his legacy to all of us. Recently in India, one of our uh, dear friends there, Nayaswami Jaya, was sharing with us a letter that he had recently found that Yoganandaji wrote his chief disciple, Rajasi, who we mentioned. And in it he said, I am tired, I am done now and say, I'm tired. I am done now with these big tours that thousands of people came 
lines around the block. He said, I'm done with these big tours that draw many, many people, but very few stick with it. I'm going to settle in Mount Washington now, and I will let the sincere seekers come to me. And so what he was doing, because a guru has two aspects. He has the power to change consciousness, but I would imagine, and this is just my little little perspective, that it's more fulfilling for him, for the guru, for the avatar, to see one soul giving their whole life to God than to give a lecture to thousands of people, even though you know that their lives will be changed. And so he came, and he began working one-on-one with those sincere people, one of which, as we all know, was our beloved Swami Kriyananda. And he worked with him, and he works with all of us. That's the important thing. It's not over when his life is over. To everyone who sincerely comes to him as his disciple, that process continues. And we need to understand that that world, the power behind such a world mission, that power is based on love. Not on self-aggrandizement or world conquest, but the love of humanity. And then it's thrilling to think about that he channels that same power that went out for a world mission into helping the individual, into helping each one of us. And Swamiji said that the power of Master's love We think of these saints sometimes as, oh, they're so sweet and they're nice and they're so spiritual and they never raise their voice. Well, I don't think that's how it is. (laughs) Because they're in a mortal struggle with us to get out of delusion. And I love the quote from the Indian scriptures that said, the man of God is soft as the flower where compassion is concerned, but strong as thunder when justice and truth are concerned and what that strong as thunder is an expression of their love for us and it's a thrilling thought to think that Swamiji said the power of Yogananda's love was such that he could face and take on headlong our delusions and give us the power and the understanding to overcome them. But this was a new thought for me because I understood that I've got to work through my bad karma. I understood that I have things that aren't clear in my consciousness. But all these years that I have been a disciple, and it's many, the thought that Master takes on our delusions... That never quite struck home to me in the same way. I always thought I was fighting this battle. They were cheering me from the sidelines, but it was my battle. But that isn't so. Masters takes on our delusions. And so when each, when any one of us, when you come up against something that's hard, that's challenging, that's taking you down, a life situation that you just think, oh, not this, anything but this, We need to understand that it's not us that's doing it. Master's there. 
and he's taking it on. Just like Arjuna in the Mahabharata, he was the charioteer. He led our uh, Krishna. Excuse me, Krishna was the representing the guru was the charioteer leading him in the battle. But Arjuna had to fight, didn't he? We have to fight. But it's the guru who's taking head on our delusions, and what a relief this is. We're not in this alone. That's what the guru has come for. The power of that world mission is to free each one of us from delusion. And that's a big job. But that's what the guru is for. And that's why he incarnated. To share with us that legacy that he salvaged from his union with God the inspiration to keep going, the realization that we can do it, but more than any of that, the ability to surrender in the midst of the deepest aspects of our challenges, of our karmic tests, and say, Master, you are the one. I surrender this at your feet. Understanding won't get me through. The mind won't get me through. Willpower alone won't get me through but your grace, you taking on, and I bow at your feet ever and again, and I will keep doing my part, and I will live for the realization of your promise to us. As he said, the time for knowing God has come. So let us celebrate Master's birthday with the realization this year and forever onward We march forward together, Master leading the way, deflecting us, deflecting so much karma, and then showing us the way out of delusion. Happy Master's birthday.